Hello and welcome to the Glowface Digital Wellbeing Podcast. I'm, of course, your host, David Talbot. Thank you so much for taking the time this week to listen to the podcast. Again, always excited to bring you more ideas, more concepts around technology and screens and the ways in which it is impacting our lives. This week, I am drawing on an idea from one of the chapters in my book around education and how screens and technology have sort of invaded the world of education in the world of sort of K to 12 education. And even at an infant level as well, we often get the message that, well, you know, learning through screens is good for kids. You know, you put an educational game in front of them, put the educational iPad or application in front of the kids and and they'll learn. And I just want to kind of take a step back uh, and think about whether that's actually the case. And whether all the technology, all the sort of money we're throwing at technology in the education system is actually proving worth everyone's time and efforts. But firstly, I kind of want to give you some context. I kind of want to be open and honest about my background in this space. Um, I did spend half a year trying to learn to be a high school teacher. So I've got a little bit of exposure to teaching. I haven't actually spent any time in a classroom. So apologies to any teachers out there that are thinking, geez, this guy's a bit ignorant of what's going on in reality. But I did see a lot of, I guess, technology trying to make its way into, into the classroom. And there was a whole course the whole subject dedicated to you know digital using digital tools in the classroom helping people to do that so there's a lot of focus there there's a lot of uh, emphasis on that but for me as I grew up I wasn't actually in school I was homeschooled for a very long time I went to primary school until year two my mom pulled me out and ended up back in high school back in year eight homeschooled through the west it's kind of you might be thinking oh geez that's explains all, all these backwards thinking about or you know challenging thinking or antiquated thinking however you position my ideas around technology and hopefully <laughs> not quite the case we weren't sort of the off the grid raise your own chicken homeschoolers we were very much literally and I mean literally we, I, we lived right next door to a school so very much in the heart of the Sydney suburbs uh, and very much a part of, of the community there but we weren't sort of isolated ourselves we were very much entrenched in in school and when I got to school there was of course a little bit of technology but but I graduated in 2010 there you go figure out my age from that but there was not a lot of technology still wrote in books people could use laptops in the classroom to take notes but it wasn't I guess perhaps as it is has as it is kind of entrenched now in a lot of schools we think about in Australia particularly uh, back in 2007 former Pro, uh, Prime Minister Kevin Rudd announced the digital education revolution, where effectively he spent over $2.4 billion on handing out laptops to children all around Australia in the hope to kind of increase and uplift their ability to learn using technology. And I guess, well, you know, what's the goal of spending that much money, $2.4 billion on on computers, on uh, technology within schools? Well, ultimately, you're, you're making an investment. You're creating a government policy that allows, that, that that's hopefully improving the quality of education for children and also improving the ability for teachers to teach. So you're trying to invest in the, the, the outcomes of these kids. Now, I think there are a few 
ways that we can test whether or not the digital education revolution achieved what it wanted to achieve. Firstly, the thing that I'm looking at uh, in my book is what we call the Program for International Student Assessment. Or PISA and what it does is it's a set of countries around the world that take a standard test every four years I believe it is believe it is we missed the one for COVID so some of the most recent results and analysis we have actually aren't from only from 2015 so it's been a while since we've seen some data but what they concluded from the 2015 report was that you know when they did the analysis in schools they didn't see that any countries that heavily invested in technology proved to be ahead of countries that didn't. And in fact, those that use technology too much were actually at a disadvantage. Now, it's those that use it at perhaps moderately more than other countries seem to have a slight advantage over other, other countries. That is to say that using technology in the classroom did not lead to considerably better yeah, outcomes when you're comparing countries against countries. Now, here's the thing that I like about PISA. It is a government organization. It's not there to generate a profit. When you think about other education companies, a lot of these companies that are promoting technology in the classroom or digital learning are there to turn a profit. They're there to drive revenue and, and they're a company. They've got shareholders they need to make happy. They've got employees they need to pay. They're there to turn a profit. And I think when it comes to the education industry, what you know, looking at the incentive and seeing the outcome is quite a, a unique way to look at it. When these companies are incentivized to drive profit, it's not aligned with the desired outcome of the education industry, which is improving the quality of learning of students, improving the schooling environment, and improving the role for teachers in, in, in the classroom, improving their quality of work. And so when you look at the when the, look at an organization like PISA that gets to make these kind of independent assessments of the reality of technology in the classroom, and when they say things like it doesn't really make that much of a difference, it doesn't really validate spending $2.4 billion on technology. And now since then, a lot, of course, many schools have instigated bring your own device or BYOD policies. And you're still seeing like a lack of results from, from this uh, technology in the classroom. Another thing we can look at within Australia is the NAPLAN assessment. Uh, and what the NAPLAN assessment is, it's a standardized test that students take um, in years three, five, seven, and nine, and that allows them to kind of, you can compare uh, results across, across errors. And what you can see from 2008 to 2018 is that there's really no improvement in kids' learning abilities. There's really no considerable uplift in, in um, things like writing or reading. When you look at the statistics, in fact, I think writing regresses, reading stays flat, and maths actually improves a little bit. But again, you're spending all this time and money and effort and energy and technology in the classroom, and you're just getting a little bit of improvement. The other thing that could look to think about, uh, and one of the goals of the digital education revolution was to enable uh, a, a, an ability for remote learning, effectively. And you look at what happened during COVID. You know, Were we ready for a digital education and digital learning environment and unfortunately it seemed as if the reality lagged behind uh, what the goal was a lot of students didn't have access to adequate internet or devices at the end of the day a lot of them were learning on their phones which are certainly not designed for a, a you know schooling learning environment a lot of them struggled to get through the content a lot of parents were you know double hatting often as teachers as well as doing their own job you know, kids were forced left to their own devices on these computers and of course they weren't learning they were doing other things fun things you know of course to say learning is 
can be fun, but these devices aren't often designed for us to engage in a, a considered thoughtful way. They're designed to you know, fragment our attention and help us to, you know, play computer games or scroll the internet or do other things that perhaps drive more dopamine than simply learning about maths or English or other things like that. And so what happened during COVID is a lot of students struggled. You know, some thrived, admittedly, I'll give you that. Some did really well, some schools already, and they, they taught well. But all across the board, it seemed as if a lot of students weren't getting what they needed out of COVID, uh, excuse me, out of the remote education environment that was a result of, of COVID-19. If you look to the U.S. as well, you think about um, not just government spending, but philanthropy. And I think about the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And they've spent billions of dollars the last 20 years to improve the quality of education in the U.S. And they've done that. They believe they can do that by investing in technology. And they've said in the last few years that, you know, they made a lot of progress in things like vaccines and sanitation and a variety of areas that the foundation focuses on. But one of the things that they have failed to make progress on is education. They do not see considerably increased education benefits to students or improved outcomes across the board, but yet they continue to pour money into education. So, sorry, pour money into technology in education. So then, you know, if technology isn't improving the outcomes of students, then why do we keep throwing money at it? Well, again, back to the incentives thing. You know, companies are incentivized to tell the story that edu- technology is going to help your kids learn better. They're going to incentivize to get you to buy the device, to buy the application, to, to help your child to improve the quality of their education. But at the end of the day, it doesn't actually make that much of a difference than what happens when you use a pen and paper and you sit there and you read a book. Right? You think about the last 100 years and how much scientific, and even 200 years, how much scientific and technolog- technological progress we have made in such a short period of time. And yet, what we're doing now is we're saying with technology, we're saying, well, that way of learning didn't work as well. It was antiquated, out of date, using a pen and paper, reading out of a textbook is, doesn't work, right? We should be using computers and iPads and laptops to learn instead. But you're kind of disregarding what actually happened recently in the last 200 years to say, well, we've learned this way for such a long period of time. And it's such an, it's, it clearly is an effective way to learn. Because, you know, when, when Western society progressed in the last 100 years and we had um, stable economies and people were getting healthier, lifespans were increasing, people could go to university, get better educations, the amount of progress we saw from a society and technological standpoint was incredible, was the most we've ever seen in the last hundred years. And people did that by sitting down with a pencil and a pad and thinking and writing and learning. And they didn't need technology to help them reach those outcomes. So I guess what, you know, what do you say when you force technology into an education system or you're saying, you know, and you, you think about people use the term like it's ripe for disruption, right? We want to disrupt the education industry. And whenever you hear the term disruption, what is inevitably built into that term is the idea that previously it was broken, right? It needs to be disrupted, it needs to be fixed. The education system is broken. How kids learn is broken. And there was nothing broken about how kids learn with pens and papers and pencils and textbooks for the last couple hundred years it actually worked really really well but now we're throwing money at technology and education and we're not seeing the benefits that we thought we might see so what should we be investing money in well firstly i think a, a reversion back to uh, classical ways of learning through a textbook and you know one of the biggest studies done on learning was by a guy named John Hattie. He did an analysis, a meta-analysis of over 800 different studies. And he concluded, you know, he was looked at what are the main drivers of student outcomes? 
and one of the main drivers was teachers. You know, students are, of course, mostly responsible for their learning outcomes, whether or not they're successful or not, really, you know, mostly depends on the student. But coming in a close second, and I believe it's about 30% of the contribution to a student's learning outcome, is the teacher. So we shouldn't be investing money in technology, we should be investing money in teachers. We should be investing money in improving the quality of their work, more teachers, increasing the salary for teachers so they can, you know, more people are incentivized to take that up as a career, you know, improving, you know, you could say reducing the class sizes of mixed data around that, but improving the quality of the class in terms of a, uh, <clears throat> a sort of controlling the class or classroom control. I know that's really a hard one and I haven't experienced, but if you could give teachers some more tools to navigate that, some training with that, you'd get a much better outcome in my opinion. And I think if you can come back to the teacher, uh, you know, thinking about them as the learning, uh, the learning medium in the classroom, then you begin to realize this is how people really learn. And there's a, a great quote by the head of Sydney Grammar School or the previous head of Sydney Grammar School, and he talks about you know his experience as a uh, as a teacher and as a principal and what he believes is the best way <clears throat> to to learn. And he said, as the an observer of so very many lessons delivered by other teachers, it has become abundantly clear that the most effective lessons were those in which the teacher's presence, his or her subject knowledge, that palpable passion and communicative warmth in sharing the experience of their topic simply inspired the room. And if you could get more teachers to inspire the room, you'd have better learning outcomes than you would by just throwing laptops, iPads and computers in front of kids. And that's what I really think I think it comes down to in this conversation is looking at the incentives of these technology companies going, they're not incentivized to improve kids' education, they're incentivized to generate profit. So they'll just tell you what they you need to hear to buy their product, to put it into schools, to put it in the kids' hands. But at the end of the day, that's not how kids learn. That's not showing the results you might be you might think are, are applicable to technology in the schools. And in fact, it's not helping teachers. If you've spent your money and time and effort on helping teachers to teach better, to control the classroom better, to you know have more support broadly in the classroom, and to help teachers you know uh, get inspired again for themselves to inspire the room as they teach, then you would get back to better learning outcomes. So look, there is a place for technology, absolutely. Of course, we couldn't have learned anything during COVID nineteen without remote learning. You know, uh, Google. Uh, Drive, Google Docs, Google Forms, all these things form the part of that education system. There is absolutely a place for it, for smart boards and that content, absolutely. But the medium, it's a tool that the teacher should use to, again, to inspire the room. It's not a tool the teacher should use to just to teach, the, to rely on for that tool to use to be teach the kids. You know, it's not something that we should fall back on to just simply take over the role of teaching. It is something that the teacher should be using to help enhance the classroom experience. So there's my thoughts on education and the technology industry. Hopefully we can see a better alignment in the future between the desired outcomes for the for students and the priorities of companies, but also the priorities of governments and, and philanthropic organizations alike. That's the podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, tune in next week. I'll be back again with more content. Take care.